بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله الذي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين الحمد لله we are able to have our session today I am in Munich and we are in the process of having our dialogue with the Christian friends in St. Ottilian here. We continue our discussion about prophethood. As you remember, we already talked about the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent different prophets, different messengers, and different books, although we said that it's not that every prophet had a book, but there were different books, and we talked about all this. We continue our discussion. The first question here is about prophets being given a special type of knowledge for them to be able to act as guides and to be away from ignorance and mistakes. One way that God supported them and through them blessed us is to give them a special type of knowledge, not conventional knowledge which come through attending schools and reading books. No, another type of knowledge. What in Islamic theology we call it as ilm al-ladunni. Ilm al-ladunni or ilm al-ladunni is a kind of God-given knowledge. This term is actually inspired by the Quran itself. In the story of Prophet Musa and Prophet Khidr we have this sentence فَوَجَدَ عَبْدًا مِنْ عِبَادِنَا آتَيْنَاهُ رَحْمَةً مِنْ عِنْدِنَا وَعَلَّمْنَاهُ مِنْ لَدُنَّا عِلْمًا Verse 65 of chapter 18 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they found one of our servants that we gave him a mercy from us and we taught him from our side a knowledge very beautiful ayah let me read it again they too found a servant of our servant means one of our servants we had given him mercy from our side and we have taught him uh, from our side so means from our side this ayah inspired muslim theologians to use this term to coin this terminology or in arabic means knowledge which comes from god God-given knowledge, a knowledge which is transferred without being in need of a teacher, a school, book, writing, pen, and so forth, and so forth. So the prophets had this type of knowledge. Therefore, they knew some of the things that are hidden from us. You know, we have al-ghayb, the unseen. We don't know that much about 
the unseen world. We know to some extent, but not that much. For example, we know there is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are angels, hell, heaven, these things we know, but lots of details are there that we don't know. We don't have access, unfortunately, because of the veils that our attachment to this world has put in front of us, and every person has his own veil. But the prophets had access to the unseen world. They knew secrets, they knew the unseen or hidden or ghaibi aspects of the realities. Some people who were unfortunately not very well versed with the Quran, they thought it's impossible for human beings to have ilmul ghaib, to have knowledge of the unseen or hidden things. And they quote some verses of the Quran. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in chapter 6 verse 59 says, وَعِنْدَهُ مَفَاتِيهُ الْغَيْبِ لَا يَعْلَمُهَا إِلَّهُ he has the keys of the unseen and no one knows those except him. They say, look, Allah says no one knows those uh, keys of the ghayb except him. But unfortunately, they don't bring those verses of the Quran which explain that Allah gives access to some people. So when people have only one-sided picture, that's the problem. In the Quran itself, we have also verses which indicate that ilmul ghaib can be given to some people. For example, in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 72, Allah says, عَالِمُ ghaib فَلَا يُظْهِرُ عَلَىٰ غَيْبِهِ أَحَدًا إِلَّا مَنْ اِرْتَضَى مِنْ Allah is the one who knows the unseen. He would not make anyone aware about the unseen except the one he is pleased with. From the messengers. So it means that the Quran wants to give us a very comprehensive picture. When you put all these verses together, the verses we say, knowledge of ghayb belongs to Allah and the verses we say Allah can give this to the people with whom he is pleased when we put them together we find that there is a comprehensive picture ilmul ghayb knowledge of the unseen belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and no one can have it independent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may give this knowledge to some people so Quran is very clear here. So we believe that the prophets had this special type of knowledge. In the book, we have two stories about the life of Prophet Muhammad as two examples of some type of knowledge which was not coming through conventional methods. For example, it is registered in historical books that before moving from Medina to Mecca for the 
conquest of Mecca, a woman from Mecca called Sarah went to Medina to see the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rasulullah asked him, have you become a Muslim? She said, no. Rasulullah asked, sorry, asked her, have you become a Muslim? She said, no. Rasulullah said, have you decided to migrate from Mecca to Medina? She said, no. Then Rasulullah said, so why have you come here? She said, you were from our tribe, you were, you know, our root, and my guardians have all, you know, died or left, and I am very needy. I have come asking for help. So Rasulullah asked the children of Abdul Muttalib, Bani Hashim, to give this woman dress and some provision and also a mule, you know, something like, for example, um, maybe a mule or a camel, something that she can ride and go back safely to Mecca. So although she was not a Muslim, but Rasulullah helped her. A person in Medina who had relation with the pagans in Mecca used this opportunity to send some secret information to the pagans in Mecca, informing them about the plan of Rasulullah and about the details of Muslim army so that they would be prepared and they would do something to defeat the army of Islam. So a person called Hatab, he went to this woman knowing she's going to Mecca and gave her 10 golden coin, some dress and a letter and said, give this letter to the leaders of Mecca. All the secrets were inside this letter. So she left. No one knew other than Hatab and this woman. But then Jibrail, Gabriel, went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and informed him about this incident. So Rasulullah sent Imam Ali, Ammar, Omar, Zubair, Talha, Meqdad, and Abu Murtad to find this woman and ask her to give that paper. They all went and met that woman. But she denied. She said, I don't have anything with me. You can look everything. There was no paper, no letter in her belongings. So the people who were sent by Rasulullah, they said, okay, let's go back. But Imam Ali Salam said, no, it's impossible that Rasulullah informed us about something which was not true. If Rasulullah said, that this lady has this letter, she must have it. She's just hiding. So Imam Ali salam insisted on her showing and giving the letter and showed her the sword just to frighten her. And she said, yes, I have got this letter. And she had, you know, hidden that letter inside her hair. So, so she gave them the letter and 
then the people that Rasulullah sent, Amirul Mu'mineen, Ammar, Umar, Zubair, Talha, Mirdad, and Abu Murtad, went back to the Rasulullah. And Rasulullah called Hatab. Why you did this? And he explained and apologized, and Rasulullah forgave him. Look at the mercy of Rasulullah. He forgave a person that had the plan of espionage. He was spying on Muslims. But because no harm was done to Muslims, Rasulullah was so kind that forgave him. So, this type of knowledge is not a knowledge that everyone has access to. This is the knowledge coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Rasulullah received it via Gabriel or Jibra'il. Another example is about the story of Sheikh Abi Talib. You know that when pagans in Mecca saw that they have no way to argue against the Prophet, so they decided to put sanction on the Prophet and not only on the Prophet, on all Muslims, and all Bani Hashim. They asked people not to do any business with them, not to sell them, not to buy from them, not to marry them, not to support them, not to send anything to them. And it was total embargo. Abu Talib had asked them to be together in a valley that is very close to Kaaba. And the situation was so bad that even sometimes for the whole day, they had only one date or half a date. Children used to cry out of hunger, but unfortunately these people had no mercy for Muslims. After Three years, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed the Prophet that the treaty that all these tribes had made to, you know, make a kind of consensus among themselves, that a kind of pact that we don't do any business with Muslims, we don't do anything, you know, to help them, we keep them, you know, in the, uh, under the sanction and they kept it inside Kaaba as a very important document. Allah informed Rasulullah that this document is now eaten by insects. So Abu Talib informed the pagans, Abu Sufyan and others, they were surprised. They said, no, it's impossible. And to their surprise, when they opened, the gate of Kaaba, they found that everything apart from name of God is uh, eaten by the insects. So who had access to this knowledge? Not an ordinary person. This is a knowledge which comes directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So one of the things that prophets had was that they had a special knowledge given to them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this knowledge is certainly immune from mistake
from illusion, from confusion, from forgetfulness. The next characteristic of the Prophet is determination. It's very, very important quality. Already in the last session, I mentioned a little bit about uh, determination and I said we will talk about it next uh, session, in, in a coming session. As you remember, we said, according to Hadith, there are 124,000 prophets. Among them, only 313 were Rasul, were messengers or apostles. Among 313, five are the most outstanding. These five are called Ulul Azm. The Quran says in chapter 46, verse 35, kama sabara ulul min rusul Be patient in the same way that those messengers who had determination exercised patience. Nuh alayhi salam, Ibrahim alayhi salam, Musa alayhi salam, Isa alayhi salam, and Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, these five are the prophets of determination. Although they have many other qualities, they have knowledge, they have generosity, they have kindness, mercifulness, wisdom, modesty, all different good qualities. But it is interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala highlights this role and significance of azm determination because we can say that without exaggeration at least 90 percent of success depends on determination people think success depends on intelligence who is sharper who is very bright who is genius Yes, these are important, but this is not enough for success. Or some people think that if they are rich, if they have resources, if they have good education, if they have, I don't know, for example, family support. Yes, these are good, these are helpful, but I think this is only 10%. We have many, many people with lots of resources, you know, with good memory. They have not done that much, you know, great things. But if you are determined to succeed, you can overcome problems. We have many, many poor people who become great scientists and scholars. We have orphans who have become great leaders. We have people who were not put in friendly condition, but they became very successful because of determination. If you have determination and other things, excellent. But if you don't have other things, but you have determination, you have great, great chance for success. And if we lack determination, then it's very, very unlikely to make any considerable success. And it is also interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when refers to Adam ala nabiyyina wa alihi wa salam, and why he made mistake. He says, We didn't find determination in Adam. So 
Adam lacked determination. And these five Ulul Azm, they are the people who have great determination. And perhaps between Adam and these five, there are many, many ranks. How much people have determination? How strong is their determination? We have in this dua from Imam Zainul Abidin alayhi salam, which says, Alimtu anna afdala dhadir rahil ilayk azmu iradatan yakhtaruka biha. I know that the greatest provision of a wayfarer towards you is the determination in his will by which he chooses you over everything else. So that is the greatest provision of a traveler, of a wayfarer towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I humbly ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right now to give all of us this determination to only choose Him and to prefer Him to anything else. If you look at the history of Prophet Nuh, for example, as you have in the book, Nuh lived very difficult conditions. He preached for 950 years. He preached for 1,000 years except 50, which means 950 years. How many people believed in his message? Only some 80 people. Every 12 years as an average, only one person believed. Can you imagine a prophet preaches people, not, you know, a scholar. He's not an ordinary person. He's not just a teacher or a scholar. He's a prophet. He's a man who receives revelation, a man in high level of piety and purity, a man like Nuh. But people don't listen to him. People insist on going wrong way, on going astray. So every 12 years as average, only one person believed. But did, Mus did Nuh salam, give up? Did he say, okay, I am going to stop, I am going to retire? No, he kept trying and trying. Did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say to Nuh, oh Nuh, you are not a good prophet, you are not successful? No. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much loved Nuh for his persistence and patience and determination that raised him to the level of ulul azm. So it's not important how many people followed him. It's important how much he tried. لَيْسَ insana إِلَّا مَا the only thing that we would benefit from is our efforts, our struggle. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala considers Nuh as a hero, not because of the number and quantity of the people who believed in him, but because of his determination and great efforts he made for the service of truth. Or if you look at Prophet Ibrahim, Allah Nabiya wa Ali wa he went through lots of challenges and difficulties. 
But did Ibrahim السلام, give up? Did he change his mind? Even when they threw him into fire, did he show any sign of regret, any weakness? No. He was so determined that he was persistent. Not only he didn't ask people for help, he didn't even ask Gabriel for help. When he went to him and offered help, according to some hadith, Ibrahim السلام, said, Amma ilayka fala. If it is a matter of asking you for help, I don't ask for help. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my Lord, He knows my situation and He is very kind. If it is to my interest, He would Himself help me. He had such trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and such strong faith and persistence that he didn't ask even Gabriel for help. And you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved him in the fire, inside the fire. Prophet Musa he suffered a lot from his birth. He had to leave his home. He was brought up in the house of Pharaoh. Of course, he had security, he had education, but to leave with Pharaoh was not something easy. And later, how much he suffered? Even he suffered from hunger. Then how much he suffered from Pharaoh later? How much he suffered from his own people? The story of Samari. All those problems. Prophet Isa السلام, he suffered a lot from his own people who were waiting for him, for the Savior, but unfortunately many of them didn't believe in him, from Romans, from different sources. Prophet Muhammad وسلم, he suffered so much that it is said in a hadith, very famous hadith, ما مثل ما no prophet was annoyed like me. He was annoyed by the pagans. They killed his people. They tortured them. They confiscated their properties. They sent them to exile. Even when they went to Medina, they did not leave them alone. They were confiscating their trades. They were attacking them. They were making plots against them with the tribes inside Medina. But also the Prophet had suffered even from the birth. He didn't see his father. He was born as an orphan. Soon he lost his mother, his grandfather. Later he lost his father Abu Talib, his beloved wife Lady Khadija. He lost his only son Ibrahim. How much this man suffered? But they took it as a sign of need for patience, for persistence. They didn't take it as a sign that they are abandoned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No, they knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there and He has a special plan for them. They remained persistent and determined. And this is how these great people Noah, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad managed not only to change themselves into the best of people 
and make themselves the best of people, but also to change many, many people. They affected the entire world through their persistence, and of course, support of God is for the people who are persistent. Another quality of the prophets, in addition to knowledge and determination, is their esma or infallibility. And this is very important quality, and we need also to discuss this uh, in more details. Just for today, I mentioned very quickly some aspects of Esma, and we can continue next week. Uh, the prophets were responsible for relaying and conveying the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to people. If Allah's message is not received by the prophets in the way which he sent the message, this means that the point is missed. Imagine you want to do something, but the one that you choose is not capable. So what is the point? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a message for humanity, a message that is going to be kept maybe for generations, maybe till end of the world in the case of Islam, and then the Prophet does not receive the message truly and correctly and properly, then there is no point. So the Prophet receives the message correctly. Quran says, we sent the Quran truthfully and it came down truthfully. So everything is according to truth. So the Prophet received the message completely. He understood the message completely. He transmitted the message completely. When the message is transmitted to people, then they may understand it or misunderstand it. That's another issue. But what is important is the pure message of God should reach people. As far as Allah is concerned and the channel that He has planned for our guidance is concerned, everything should be immune from mistakes, from forgetfulness, from confusion, from illusion. So the message comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the prophets intact and is kept, understood, preserved, remembered, and passed on truly and properly. But then afterwards, sometimes people forgot the message. The books were forgotten, disappeared. Sometimes they changed it. Sometimes they distorted. Sometimes some people kept it. Some people didn't keep it. But the message has to be delivered to the people. If the message is lost, then Allah had to send a new message. If the message is given, but then there is a question of understanding, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first asked the Prophet to teach them, and then if a new Prophet is not coming, there should be enough of interpretation from the Prophet or an infallible source so that people can understand the message properly. This is what we have in the hadith of the Prophet and Imams in the case of the Quran. So, these are 
some aspects of infallibility which relates to the delivery of the message. And to this extent, there is a consensus among all Muslims. When it comes to personal life of the prophets or to the life before becoming prophet, some Muslims, they believe that the prophets may have made mistakes or even committed sins. For example, they say when a prophet becomes a prophet, he should not commit any major sin, but he may make minor sin. Some say the prophet should not make any intentional sin, but he may make unintentional sin. But the Shia theologians say the prophets are infallible, not only in the delivery of the message, but also in the personal life and the life before becoming prophet, because people should be able to have full trust in them. If people see that they make mistakes or commit sins in some aspects of their life, then they would lose the complete trust in them. Inshallah, we'll talk about this more in the next session. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillah rabbil alam.